Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. If this is the first time you've ever listened to the show, my goal in hosting this podcast is to expose you to people from a variety of backgrounds who do a bunch of different things so that you can get little nuggets, ideas, thoughts, and concepts on entrepreneurship that you can take and and put to work for you in your own path, whatever that might look like. Because the thing I've discovered is, is that every entrepreneurial artist has his own canvas or her own canvas, and they have to find their own way to make it work. And so we bring really interesting people here on the show. We talk about what they do, and we kind of see what they can share uh, to help us along the way. We are well over 360 episodes into Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do over three and a half years, and it's been like my own personal university, and today is no different because I have with us today Ivy Slater. Now, she lives like Midtown New York City. I mean, how cool is that? She lives right off Park Avenue. She walks to work. I mean, it's springtime and early summer now, and she gets the great weather. That's awesome. And what she does for a living is she helps companies create strategies for their growth and expansion. But what she does, it's not foo-foo. She starts with the numbers. She looks at what the numbers say and then decides where do you go from there. And that's something as an entrepreneur probably all of us should do a little bit more of is actually look at the numbers. I know I should. So Ivy, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me and coming to you from sunny New York City, springtime where the tulips are growing out on the uh, the, the Meridian separating Park Avenue here. So it's a really nice day. That's great. Of course, by the time this airs, it will be hot and muggy in New York and the tulips will all be dead. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's, it's all good. It's all good. You know, where I come from, I'm always going to find a flower that's blooming. <laughs> that's excellent. That glass is half full. Baby. That is awesome. So, Ivy, I don't really do like full bios that PR people send me and such. Why don't you tell everybody who is Ivy Slater and what do you do? So um, I am an entrepreneur myself. I have built over the last 20, quote unquote, plus years you hit a certain age, you decide to stop counting. Yeah, I was going to say 20 plus. I know I know how that works. I'm, I'm 20 plus years also. <laughs> so uh, in, in the delicate area that we're going to play in here, we'll just go with the, the quotes and the plus. And I built several different businesses. Um, I was got into the printing world in the late 80s. I then went on, became a partner, then went on to merge that company, spearheaded a merger, created a three and a half million dollar business. Ran that for five years. Why well, was um, then went on my youngest child at that point entered preschool. I was like, yes, let's do this, and jumped the par- partners. Went on and for the next X amount of years, ran that company. In 07, I had what I'll call a midlife crisis, and I said, what the hell am I doing with myself? Who would what ever think I wanted to be a printer when I grew up? I was a dancer as a kid. Got to redefine this. Um, in January of 08, I opened Slate of Success, where I work with primarily, but not exclusively, women leaders on growing and scaling their companies and women in leadership. Um, and ran interesting tidbit as I ran two companies for two years. So it was that year I had two businesses, two children, two homes, one husband, thank you. <laughs> and, um, you know, have launched Slate of Success 
for since then and travel diff around this country with different clients, different speaking opportunities. I have a book out that's called Conquering Your Fear of Money, A Woman's Guide to Business Success. And I am a girl who's all about the numbers. That's, that's awesome. Well, going back to how we started about 20 plus years, something weird popped into my mind and I wrote it down. I think I'm going to use it as a little philosophy. In this world where, you know, we champion youth and every you can't open up a, a blog post or a magazine or a newspaper without reading everything written about the millennials, uh, you know, and, and pitting them against the baby boomers and everything else. I kind of have a new philosophy. I admire and trust people who are watched the original run of Charlie's Angels. If, <laughs> if you're old enough to have watched Charlie's Angels when Farrah Fawcett was on it, then, you know, you have life experience. So if you are old enough to have friends who had posters of Farrah Fawcett in their rooms, he <laughs> could talk. Hello, I had the poster of Farrah Fawcett in my room. So, so we should warn the listeners, this could be a dangerous interview where this could go. <laughs> I, 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 will, I will tell you, my parents didn't know what to do with that because it was something that everybody had. And it was the you know early to mid, I guess, mid-70s. I was probably 10 years old. And, you know, my parents were pretty religious. But, you know, it was essentially a modest bathing suit. I mean, probably not for 1975. But uh, I remember my parents being torn about if that was appropriate for a 10-year-old's bedroom. Uh, and yet it remained. So um, in, in continuing in, in this stream was there was uh, back in the day, there was a press run I did. Uh, one of my big clients at the time for many, many years, actually for close to 20 years, was W Magazine. And the early days, W was a tabloid, a newspaper. And then we did a lot of the promotional and marketing material when it went into a glossy, et cetera. And there was a cover with Cindy Crawford mm. in a blue bathing suit. Very, very famous cover, really defined Cindy Crawford. It so happened I do a lot of business in LA. Um, my son lives out there. I decided a few years ago when he was transitioning out there that, hey, you know what? As a mom, I'm going to build a book of business in California and be able to stop in and have dinner with him. And uh, we, we were sitting at a restaurant and in walks Cindy Crawford. And I'm like, damn, I hope I look as good as she does <laughs> as when I was on press printing her cover. Well, as long, as long as we're talking about beautiful models of the 70s and, and, and 80s, uh, when Twitter first came out, I remember uh, Kathy Ireland was an early yeah. adopter of, of Twitter and was very active on it. And I remember like there was a fire near her house. I think she lives near Santa Barbara somewhere. And, and she put on Twitter, oh, my gosh, we have to evacuate. What could I bring with me? And I wrote something in there like, the 1985 swimsuit, original swimsuit edition uh, copy of Sports Illustrated might be a good idea. And I said something to the effect of, if this is the Cindy Crawford who might have graced that cover. And she wrote back saying, this is the same one. And she made some joke about, was it hanging in your dorm room? And then I wrote back and said, yeah, I'm exactly the right age where that was in my dorm room. So okay. I, my claim to fame for Twitter was I had about a four or five Twitter exchange with Kathy Ireland one time. So, nice. So we've now covered the gamut of uh, beautiful women of the 70s. But I'm sure you probably had the Hardy Boys poster up in your room or something like that. <laughs> so it's not just this isn't just sexist. The posters went both ways. 
Oh, no. I recently mourned David Cassidy. I will admit, I, re- I, I was shocked that I was not invited to his funeral, being the, when it, the lead in his fan club back in the day and remembering going to take, ask, begging my mother to take me to see him at Madison Square Garden. And she was a trooper and took me. <laughs> so my, my wife was a, was a Sean Cassidy fan, as it turns out. Sure. So we've had that discussion about uh, she had that poster in her room when she was a kid. So. <laughs> So there you go. So now that we have gone way, way off topic, uh, let's get back to cool things entrepreneurs do. And so what sort of led you then to entrepreneurship? I mean, you started off early kind of into the game. What what got you going as an entrepreneur? You know, uh, God, I love that question. Um, I grew up and I wanted to be a dancer. Okay. I danced from three years old on. I actually have a degree in dance. And the agreement with my parents at the time was you can get a degree in dance and we will support your college education as long as you get a degree in something that will pay a bill. Hmm. Interesting. And I, bottom line concept. And as an adult and parent today, I respect that concept. Sure. Absolutely. So I got two degrees. I got a degree in communications and a degree in dance. At 23, I blew my knee out. And the most I ever made as a dancer was $50 a week. Well, that's a start. It's a start. So I then decided, okay, what do I really want to do when I grow up? And I said, I want to own a business. I want to be the master of my own destiny. It was really important to me. I set myself on, up on a path. Um, my first job I was fired from, and I think that is one of the greatest things that ever happens to me, happened to me because it showed me early on that one obstacle in your way does not define you. Well, I want to jump in there. It's also, it's not just the one obstacle in your way. The other thing is it sort of teaches you is why am I letting someone else sort of carve my path? I I was never fired from a job, but I was laid off from five of them where the companies went out of business. Now, sometimes it was bad management decisions. Sometimes it was large companies. So they were making huge stock related things of closing offices, smaller offices around the country. And sometimes it was, you know, just the luck of the draw for the economy. But uh, it taught me after that happened several times that I needed to take control of my of myself because everybody said, oh, the company is the safe way. Well, no, it's not really that safe after you've been laid off a few times. No. And, um, you know, working for somebody else, they have control of your life. And at that moment, I realized I am going to take control of my life. I went on from there and I worked for two different female entrepreneurs. And I spent the next five years working for two female entrepreneurs. Both had um, um, parenting. I mean, they ran major million plus dollar businesses. Um, one, One woman had probably 14 health clubs and a portfolio in the $20 million range in, in real estate. Um, so these were major entities and I was her right hand and I just was guided and mentored without her re- really realizing what she was teaching me. And I think I almost was too young to realize what I was learning. We had this conversation the other day. Uh, I was at a thing called the uh, Sales Success Summit for top 1% salespeople. And I was the master of ceremonies at the event. But I, because of that, I got to be just engaged deep in the whole thing. And there was about, I don't know, just just shy of 50 really top performers sharing with each other everything. And we had this talk about mentorship and coaching. And one of the people said, sometimes you're mentored and you, you don't know it. And sometimes you're mentored and they don't know it. So I think that's interesting that you bring that up. 
I, I think it's very true. And, and from that woman, I went to work for two sisters who had a corporate event company. Um, the sister that I worked directly with who ran the business side of the kit, uh, the business, one ran the kitchen, one ran the business side of the business was a CPA. And that, you know, that again, like hunkers down is you have to know numbers. You have to be able to look at numbers. And so from there, I said, I'm okay, I'm ready. Don't laugh. I'm ready. I'm 26 years old. I'm ready to own a business. <laughs> hey, you know, when, when entrepreneurship calls, it calls. Uh, yeah. And as you know, and I kind of crack up when I, it comes out of my own mouth. And I, a, a chef, one of the chefs and I, he was a year younger than me, embarked on building a bagel store in New Jersey. And we were going to truck New York water to New Jersey. We went and we shopped real estate. We created a financial spreadsheet. Um, we, we did the whole thing. And basically what it came down to is we needed a half a million dollars. I had a rental apartment and a leased car. He lived at home with a leased car. There was no collateral. There was no nothing. I was like, okay, next idea. And, and this is really important. You, you have to actually play out your ideas. You actually have to put pen to paper, put legs to pavement. Get out with, if, if, it's, if it's a retail, you need to be looking at spaces, understanding markets, understanding um, the whole gamut of the business, not just what's pretty in a business. My dad had something that said, take a piece of cheese as the potential business, and you just take a knife and keep stabbing at the cheese of everything that's not going to work, everything that can go wrong everything that's going to fail and know some of it will. And he goes, at the end of the day, if you have a piece of Swiss cheese and it's edible versus if you have crumbled cheese and it's not edible, you'll know if you have a working business. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's awesome. So, so now that you've done this and you've done this several times down a lot of different paths, what do you love about the life you've created of entrepreneurship? Um, really simple. I mentioned I have a son who lives in LA and he moved out there for college a bunch of years ago. He's now since graduated and is building a career out there, has a girlfriend out there. I made the decision then to start building business on the West Coast. What, and I show up, Tom, with a really important factor in life in every day, what can I do? There's a hell of a long list of what we can't do. <laughs> if I show up with what can I do? So I said, okay. He's going to be out there. I don't want to be the mom that sits at the Holiday Inn and says, okay, my boy, mommy's here to visit you. You know, stop everything. Stop your world. You know, I came for a visit. I said, I don't want to be that mom. I want to be a mom that cohabitates with her kids and is excited and fun to be with. So it would be like, for instance, hey, Closed a big client out in Pasadena. I'm going to be out and I'm going to work from California for the month of February. And it came back. Hey, if you're going to get a place, why don't we host a Super Bowl party? I'll have all my friends nice. over. Nice. So it's creating a life that works for me. And my business supports that life. I've created a business and a style, whether it be with Slater Success, my company for the last 10 years or when I had a printing business and I was raising my kids during that time. I so created support teams that helped me achieve that lifestyle. 
So I've kind of done a similar thing. My daughter goes to college in Pittsburgh. And Ooh. so I've sort of marketed myself to anybody in Pittsburgh that, you know, I'll, I'll come for a dollar ninety five and a chicken dinner if you need to have a presenter, which isn't true. It's more than a dollar ninety five, but I'll play with my budget if you'll get me to Pittsburgh because it means that I can take my daughter and her boyfriend out to dinner or maybe go see a Penguins game uh, or something like that. And, you know, so maybe once or twice a year since she's been in college and she just finished her junior year, I've been able to work in Pittsburgh and clients have brought me in and I do my work for the client. I I host a conference or I, I deliver a keynote or a training. And then that night I hit one of Pittsburgh's awesome restaurants. It turns out it's one of the top food towns in America. Who knew? And uh, I hit it with, you know, my daughter and, and the young man that she dates and we have a nice time and then I fly home. But in a way, I get that extra uh, little visit with them. So I, th- I think, you know, what you've done is great because that's what I'm trying to achieve. Yeah, that is, you know, I, I early on in my 20s, I defined this idea of I am going to be the master of my own destiny. Nobody else is going to define me. And how do I achieve that? So there's somebody listening to this show right now who's like, oh, my God, Ivy, that's what I want. I want that. What advice do you have for them? So let's get started with number one, define what's important to you. Define the why. Where is your connection? Okay, because I spent nights sleeping in a press room, but made sure I was took my kids to school in the morning. Okay, so define your why, define what's important to you. To this day, I travel, right? I, last minute, I went to the New Media Summit and I did it. And Steve's like, well, Ivy, I'm going to be closer to the East Coast in, in the fall. Don't worry about it. And, I, and Steve and I know each other for a while. You know, we, we have friends in common, whatever. And I said, you know what, though? It was the week of my birthday and I could have my, a night with my son for dinner. <laughs> That's right, because the conference was in San Diego. And Correct. you went to the New Media Summit, and you met me, and I invited you on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, which might have even trumped dinner with your son. <laughs> okay, it didn't. But, you know, you get the idea. Exactly. But I had, and I had great cocktails for my birthday at the New Media Summit. Nice. Uh, but to find, you know, going back to your question, to find what you really want and what your priorities are there. Have that connection to your why. And I start with every client I work with. What do you want and why do you want it? I decided I wanted recently in the last five years, a bi-coastal lifestyle. Why do I want it? Because I have kids, one in living in New York, one in living in LA. Great. I have a mom who spends part of her time in Florida. Guess who does some business in Florida? You know, what do I want and why? What's important to you? And then when you define that, you can then start taking the ideas that you have for businesses and then use them, what I refer to as the Swiss cheese method. I think it's one of the greatest methodologies. I've trashed businesses and I've built businesses based on the Swiss cheese methodology. So tell us more about the Swiss cheese methodology. Go on, go deeper. So... When I looked at Slater's success and starting to build Slater's success, it's like, okay, this coaching thing in in 07, I didn't even know what a coach was, damn it. And I started looking at, and I started researching, I did market research. What is this? And then I met with people. Can I actually make a living that will support my family based on the idea? So I interviewed people. I had access to somebody who was a regular on the Today Show at the time. Had lunch with them. 
G, television, media, up and coming. What do you know about this industry? Give me your insight. You're a business owner yourself. You know, can you actually pay bills off of this? Right? Two children. Um, live, raising two kids in New York City was a two-income endeavor. So it was my husband and I both had separate businesses. Um, so I did market research. Do your market research. Understand what it's going to take. If you're thinking about, oh, this can't be much money. I'm not going to need any startup costs. I'm building. I'm starting from home. <clears throat> Let's call that what it is and just clear the throat because we can go into a lot of foul language because that's not truth. You must have startup costs. Every business costs money to start up. Whether you're looking at startup costs being a website, whether starting up on social media, getting out and networking, you know, free networking events, God bless them. And I've gone to my fair share, but is it quality in there? I remember back in the day, scraping together $100 to go to a women's financial evening. I was like $100 for a glass of wine, $100 for a cup of coffee, because those women were my people. You, can, you must look at and create the financial plan and scaling and building it out, even in getting started. And don't expect it to be nothing, because then you're not looking at real truth. So as people get started, lots of times they and, and maybe even some of their investors or their friends or their family, everybody thinks, oh my gosh, they have so much potential. And one of the things I do is I work with people, I talk about what I call the paradox of potential because I've discovered through now over a year's worth of research and I'm probably a year into a five-year research program on this whole idea of the gap between potential and results because here's the deal. Potential doesn't mean anything. Potential does not equal results. We all have friends who've gone off on their own and had to go get another job two years later because their business didn't make it. So what do you think the delta is? What's the difference between people who get to success starting with potential and people who just never get past the potential and, and don't succeed? So I think there's two keys here. There's consistent action. So they're, And they're both C words. It's consistency and action. You know, every day it's, you know, and I truly am so grateful for my background as a dancer because God's honest truth. You have a cold, you have a flu, you show up in your class. It really was irrelevant. You know, did you ever meet, you know, how many real true athletes don't show up for practice because they don't feel well? Right. Well, and I just had that experience recently. I was the master of ceremonies at an event and something I ate did not agree with me. And without going into details, I had one of those gastrointestinal days that nobody wants to talk about and it didn't go well. And I still had to get up there on stage with a bunch of energy and do the introduction. And I was looking at, okay, this next speaker has 45 minutes and I'd run down the hall. And I'd get back in time. And I never even told the client that I wasn't feeling well. I tried not to shake people's hands in case it was viral. I think it was something I ate, but I stayed away, you know, as best I could. But, you know, you couldn't say, oh, by the way, your opening keynote speaker and your master of ceremonies isn't here today. So I was chewing tablets and doing whatever I had to do to get through it. And the next day I was just exhausted because mentally I had to do it. But the show had to go on. And so I did it. The show has to go on. And you, if your business is going to succeed, you have to show up with consistency and action. You know, that is a huge key. And everybody's like, oh, I'll get to this later. I'll do No, that, that's non-negotiable. Well, and I couldn't, I couldn't tell the audience, right? It happened to be in the insurance industry. It was a group of risk managers. And <laughs> I couldn't tell them, 
But I thought, oh, the irony of risk management. <laughs> you know, and I, I literally thought the next time I speak to risk management folks, I could probably tell the story as yeah. last time this happened. And it might be a funny story. But that day I was thinking, yeah, you think you know risk management. Try being me. Yeah. Right. And it's it's so it's so true. And in that same way, in the same theme here, is you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. You have to be willing to be uncomfortable. And most people do not want to be uncomfortable. Um, when I got started in printing, for instance, um, I was told there was the. I said, okay, so you know, my job here is to get the young new young clientele. I was hired as a salesperson in those in the early days. And I was like, great, you know, so excited to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Where do I get started? And they said, the yellow pages or the pavement, pick one. And, I, and this was back before there was security in large buildings. God bless it. Oh, yeah. I and, started off knocking on doors, too. And now you can't get in. And now there's not even receptionists. You know, now there's like no. a buzzer. <laughs> you know, you need that swipe card <laughs> to access anything. Or you need to know somebody who can get you in. So, you know, bottom line is it was pretty damn uncomfortable. And it never got comfortable. And building Slater's success 20 years after that wasn't comfortable. And every day there's things I do that are not comfortable. You know, bottom line, are you willing to, hey, get on the phone and let Pittsburgh know, hey, I want to do business in Pittsburgh. I'm willing to come. They're not going to know it unless you let them know it. <laughs> That's right. Are you willing to go into that uncomfortable zone and, and you know, hang out with a sandwich sign in Times Square and say, hey, hello, I want to talk to you. And those are the two things that I think stop most people. They want to get their back end in place. They have to get this ready. I'm, I'm almost ready to do this as soon as I do X, Y, or Z. Well, guess what? You're never going to be ready. You just need to do no, I think I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And the same thing is true with my business as a speaker. People are like, how did you start? How'd you become a professional speaker? I said, I started speaking for money. You know, it was like, that was, you know, that was it. So I now, I now coach people who don't want to be full-time professional speakers, but have other businesses, they're, they're subject matter experts, and they get asked to speak, but they don't actually charge. They always do it for free. And so I've started coaching them on how do you get some money. It's not maybe going to be $20,000, but if it's local, if you live in Los Angeles, you know, and you can get... A thousand or fifteen hundred or some some amount, you know, that might be better than free. And they're like, oh, the people who are asking me would never pay. And I, I, my first question is, are you sure? You know, and maybe you need to find other people. And yeah. it's it's amazing with just a few people I've talked to how just a few little tips. They're like, do you know if you ask for it, they sometimes give it to you? It's like, yeah, I actually learned that. So so Ivy, I've got a few more questions for you, but first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Hey, Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Ivy Slater. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do... Jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Ivy, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing in your business right now? 
Okay, so for 2018, we're doing a few things. So we kicked off our own podcast this January. Yay. Well, go us. It's called Her Success Story. Um, oh, let's talk about how uncomfortable that was. Okay, and we did it. Uh, the next thing is I blocked out a, a, a period of time this summer that we're going to get book number two out probably by the, next, the end of the year. And in that book, I'm approaching something that I've never done before. And that is looking at the two sides of business, the practical as well as the spiritual that brings into business success. And it's always been a heart center of mine. So we're going to start getting that out there a bit. Um, a couple of other things is we have a new website that's going to be launching um, probably by the time you air. So that is, um, that has been, it's been, uh, 2018 has been the year of where it's our 10 year anniversary. So we're, so we're, 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 we're taking on new energy. Um, and you're going to see me out in doing more by coastal and traveling. So, uh, there should be some exciting things coming along in that line. Um, the one thing that hasn't changed, and that's in our truth and our importance of the numbers tell you a story and be willing to look at them. And if you're not comfortable looking at them, get somebody to help you mm -hmm. and look at what your goals are or what your want and why it is in your business. Then see the number story your business is telling you and create that plan to achieve what you want most in your life. Don't wait for later. Do things now. Oh, that's, that's awesome. So we could talk about you all day long and all the great things you're doing with Slater Success. However, I believe that great entrepreneurs are observers. So I love to ask the people who come on this show, when you look out into the entrepreneur sphere, if you will, who do you see where you say, wow, they're doing something cool? A bunch of people are doing some cool things that I know. Um, Steve, who we met through, is doing some really cool things. Steve Ulsher, I think he's fabulous. Definitely somebody you want to be following. Um, a friend of mine, Iman Khan, um, I don't know if you had a chance to meet him. His company is called Red Elephant. They are adventuring into some brand new stuff in the next year, year and a half. So that's something to keep your eye on and to get him talking about. He's brilliant. Um, a brilliant man in business, a brilliant man in sales, a brilliant man in mindset mm. and how that all marries. Um, whew, some other great people out there. Um, Michael Goldberg is, an, is a fabulous entrepreneur. He's hunkered down in the financial service area in sales and education. Um, the one thing I will tell your listeners, create great relationships because I can go on and on and on with people like you said that and, and you even, you know, prepped it a little bit earlier. And I'm like, my mind is going a mile a minute. I was like, well, how do we have another 30 minutes to give you a real list? <laughs> <laughs> no. And I like it when people come up with, with unique answers that aren't the same people who I hear. I hear a lot of, uh, you know, Elon Musk and Richard oh. Branson. And of course they're worthy of being admired and they certainly are doing cool things, but I like it when people throw names out there that, that I haven't heard. I have to go back and, and look those people up. So the last question I ask everybody is, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because I think, I think we, we're, we're charged to do more than just make money. I think that we really should somehow serve society. So, so what do you do? Um, so the day I opened Slave of Success in January of 08, I aligned myself with Dress for Success. 
And um, I had an opportunity through a, a client, uh, through a printing client, who then later became a coaching client and a business development client, et cetera, et cetera, several times over. Um, when I told her what I was going to do in 07, she goes, you need to meet Joy Gordon, the CEO of Dress for Success. I'll do an introduction. You'll sit down with her. And at that point, I did not, I, honestly, I didn't have a pot to piss in, you know, um, there was no revenue in Slater's success, but I knew, and I sat, I, I sat down with Joy and I said, I don't know how much money I can give you, but I know I could show up for you and do anything you need. And through that, um, that's made a world of difference to me uh, in my heart of hearts, in helping women get jobs, get back, in, back on their feet, back in the job market and giving them the ability to work with their families. In that same way, I have a huge passion for women and children. So it's not unusual. My friend uh, is very involved in best buddies. And I'm like, what do you need? How can I help? I was just like, okay, this is, you know, and I get a laundry. I was like, got it. Um, my husband called me yesterday. He goes, hey, listen, I was talking to a client. His mother runs a foundation for um, women. And I got to them. I was like, what do you need? How can I help? He goes, I'm going to do an email introduction. I was like, yep, you got it. What, did, what do they need from me? Um, the important thing, we're, none of us are that busy that we can't show up to give back. If we are, we're doing something wrong. Yeah, I think we live in a world where people hide behind busy, like it's some faux badge of honor. I mean, you run into somebody on the street and you're like, oh my gosh, how you been? They go, oh, I'm so busy. And then they start reciting all their calendar entries to you. It's like, whoa, step back. Why don't you start with, oh, I'm so fortunate, you know, and go from there. Exactly. Um, so... It's not hard to find something. You don't necessarily need to give $100,000. You don't need to give $1,000. Sometimes showing up is enough. Sometimes calling all your friends to pack sandwiches for kids. You know, it doesn't take that much effort. There's an enormous amount of organizations out there. You know, for your listeners, please do us all a favor, find something. Well, and I, I did a TEDx talk earlier this year and, and I still, the video still hasn't posted and probably won't post till like early summer, but that's about the time that this, this will actually air. So maybe, maybe my TEDx talk will be, be public by the time this is aired. I haven't really talked a lot about it on a bunch of episodes. I did an episode about the experience of doing a TEDx talk, but it was called The Art of Giving Small and then sort of colon compounded generosity. And it was about how you know, we're not rich. And when I started my business, we were the opposite of rich. And so all we did was just pledge a few percentage points to of the monies I got paid for speaking to a fund at Children's Hospital for research for kids born with cranial facial abnormalities. And over the years, we've expanded that uh, to two children's hospitals, the one in the town we live in and the one in, Sa in Austin, Texas, and the one in San Diego, where our daughter Kate was operated on 16 years ago and given a fresh start on life. I mean, I always say they, they saved her life. She probably wouldn't – she would not have died, but she would have had a severely limiting uh, – abnormality, if you will, sort of an elephant man-like distortion to her head. And so the doctors at Children's Hospital removed her top of her skull and then positioned it to grow back, which it, thank God it did. But we started giving to research for kids born with cranial facial abnormalities. And fast forward 12 years or however long ago we started, and it's over $70,000 between what we've given, uh, what we've raised, and what some of my clients have added to it. And if I walked into any charity and said, I'm going to give you $70,000, they'd, they'd probably buy me lunch. And set off balloons. 
But uh, I couldn't do that. At the time, it was $20 checks, $50 checks, $75 checks, $200 checks. But over time, it compounded, like compounded interest. And uh, so I, I did a talk on the art of giving small, uh, how your, your small things compound over time. And you really can. You don't have to be rich to impact a charity. You can make a difference. I, I love, first of all, I love the title of the talk, Tom. Just absolutely love it. And, you know, and it relates back to anything we do, whether it be business, whether it be giving, small steps, small things add up really fast. Yeah. It doesn't take much, you know. So if you commit to, I'm going to do these five small things in life, in a week, in a day. Um, I, I, as a hobby, I like to garden. You know, I could put in a few, you know, I could put in a few bulbs and I'm seeing amazing daffodils, right? Small things. Be committed, you know, and again, like people get caught up with being overwhelmed and being busy. And it's I think so they brag much. about it, right? It's their, it's their badge yeah. of honor. It's like, I'm so busy. You know, let go of it, guys. You know, listeners, let go. It doesn't matter how busy you are. It's how productive you are. Guess what? Get on busy. Do more. <laughs> well, Ivy, it's been a delight to have you on the show. If somebody's listening and they're like, I, I have to know more about Ivy Slater, how do they find you? Well, God willing, I'll say when this airs, <laughs> your TED Talk will be out and our new website will be out at <laughs> slatersuccesscoaching.com. Nice. Well, like I said, it's, it's a, it'll be a couple months from when we recorded it. Uh, the, the byproduct of the uh, New Media Summit is I've interviewed a lot of really cool people who I was able to meet at that program who wanted to be guests on, on, on the show, yourself included, where I used to do this like a week in advance, like, ah, I need a show for Tuesday. I'm now like two months in the can, which is like for me awkward because I would love the whole world to hear this tomorrow because uh, you have been such a great guest. So thank you again. Where would they find that new website? It's at SlaterSuccessCoaching.com. Um, you can also connect with me on all social media platforms. I'm out there. And you might want to check out her success story, our podcast that started this January. That's great. Well, everybody, go check out her podcast. Look for her new book later this year. And then check out everything that she's got going on at SlaterSuccessCoaching.com. Hey, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Ivy. I know you're thinking, how can that happen? But I'm going to challenge you. In the meantime, I want all of you to go out there and have a great day. But before I let you go, I have one request. Jump over to iTunes if you're an iTunes user or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do because the more people who subscribe and leave comments there about what you like about the show, the more other people can find the show. Uh, also, you can find everything about me at TomSinger.com. If you want to join the group coaching program, it's the PotentialMastermind.com, just PotentialMastermind.com. Find out all the information you want there and uh, keep tuning in and become part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do family. Thank you very much. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>